Welcome to the Project on the Rocks podcast, where we bring you stories from the Project and Agile community, as well as inspirational learnings from leaders in the space. This podcast is in partnership with the Black Dog Institute, who aim to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. If you wish to support the cause, please donate via the link below. Hello, welcome to the latest episode of Projects on the Rocks. I'm chatting with Brad Wayner today. Uh, he's a, a good friend of mine, actually. I, I'll say a friend. I think he'll hopefully agree with that. Um, he's someone I've known for a little while. He is a, a senior coach. He's been doing the rounds in Sydney for a while now, so he's seen a lot and he's got a lot of insights to share that are particularly interesting. Um, we had planned to, to talk about a lot of things and the conversation sort of started to meander in weird and wonderful ways that we didn't expect but i think we covered some interesting topics certainly it's relevant for what's going on in the recruitment side of things in the agile space um so i hope you enjoy the episode thanks so much for jumping on we always start with yes 10 quick fire questions because obviously when we get to the point where you're on the podcast i know who you are we've dealt with each other oftentimes i've worked with the people you know placed them may not have placed them placed with them um but for everybody who's listening um mm. it's good for them to to get a little bit of insight into you as a bloke yeah sounds good so you haven't been prepped on these the very surface level we're yeah. not going too deep yet um yeah. but let's get started okay. what is your let's full name and where did you come from my full name is bradley joel Wayner, and i came from uh johannesburg south africa uh, and i moved to australia in 1995 been a while, so i've been here 27 years yeah um all right best job you ever had um oh geez that's a hard one um best job i ever had um i have to say best job is it being an agile coach to be honest yeah um yeah it's just uh yeah it's pretty awesome so um i'm now at pwc and Mm. yeah it's it's awesome is it I, I, i love this job yeah, it's, you don't um, have to say that just because you're talking to me. No, <laughs> no, no. It, it actually is like if I had to, if I had to think back, um, and you know what, what do I enjoy the most doing? Um, it's definitely being an agile coach. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, Brilliant. I mean, I was, I was thinking because I used to work for Coca-Cola Amatol, and I was thinking, oh yeah, working for Coca-Cola Amatol was pretty awesome, just because you know, you got four cases of whatever you wanted every month. And that was, that was awesome. But like, that's not really the job. That's more like the, the, the benefits, the perk of working for Coca-Cola. And you know what? I dare say getting four cases of Coca-Cola every quarter is probably not <laughs> sustainable anyway. No. Well, you kind of, you kind of start that way and then you start getting moving into the healthy stuff. That's uh, why. Yeah, yeah. Because you also had the fridges at work, right? And so you could just take whatever you wanted. And everyone started, like my first week was like Coke, Coke, Coke. And then you just start switching to the water. Yeah. I, um, I've been in those offices, actually. They're amazing. And I do remember vividly the old, the big fridges. Um, all right, flip side. Worst job you've ever had? Um, it was probably the first job I ever had. Um, and it's re- very recent that I actually was talking to someone about this. Um, is I was, my dad worked for a, a woman's clothing company yeah um and so they made women's clothing in the factory and um i yeah i was like i was young um probably 16 or so and i was working in the factory cutting up boxes so that's all my job was just slicing up boxes and flattening them down and um i just remember because i i you know like i like to 
move quickly. And so I, I flattened all these boxes and I said, oh, I'm done. Like, you know, where's more work for me? And they're like, no, 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 you're going too quickly. <laughs> slow yeah, down. Slow down. <laughs> That's supposed to take you the whole day. Yeah. And um, yeah, so. Do all this work, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. No limits to your imagination. What would be your dream job? And I, and you can't see it being an agile coach. Oh, damn. Yeah. Um, my dream job. Um, I don't know. Um, something in Mykonos. <laughs> that's that's always like oh, I'd love to retire in Mykonos. So something in Mykonos. I don't know. Um, a bartender in Mykonos. Yeah, that? nice. I like yeah, it. That, that'd be yeah, that'd be a good job. One of the next questions further down the list here is, uh, mm. what's the next holiday you want to book? <laughs> Have you yeah. already given that answer? Uh, I've, we've already booked a holiday. So oh, yeah. um, that would be, we're going to Bali. Oh, nice. So in a very nice um, resort there. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to that. Lovely, so that's I'm the next sure. one. Brilliant. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> all right then. Favorite band or musician? Favorite band or musician? Um, I would have to say, um, seeing them, seeing them live, um, the Foo Fighters, oh, I actually saw, I saw them live in, um, in London actually. And oh. it was just, the concert was amazing. Was it Wembley? I, uh, no, it was, that's, I think it was the O stadium or, or something like that. O2 yeah. stadium. Oh yeah. And yeah, yeah. they were just, oh, they just blew me away. They were just so good. Apparently, so yeah, good. I've yeah. never seen them. But never oh. will see them in that iteration, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah. Everything, haven't they? So, yeah. Um, so they're not doing any more concerts. Not not for a while. They had oh, like really? a big tour planned and they're mm. coming back to Australia, but um, no, they, they've cancelled, unfortunately. Mm. Um, all right. What are you currently watching? Uh, we're watching, we're watching um, Superstore on, on Netflix, which is... It's so funny. Such a what good show. Yeah, it's called Superstore. It's it's like a it's like a, a take on the typical American department store. Oh yeah. And like uh, work, yeah. work based. Work, yeah, work based. Sort of thing. Yeah, they're just employees in like a like a kind of like a big W or a Target yeah. or a Kmart type store. And yeah, just the things they get up to. It's it's pretty good. It's pretty nice. good. All right, yeah. for it. I just started watching Ted Lasso last night. Mm. It's brilliant. Ted Lasso is excellent. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. Um, all right. Beer or wine? Uh, beer. Beer. And final question. Which actor would play you in a movie about your life? It's funny because I actually, we, we, uh, I was in a team and we're doing a kickoff and everyone had to pick what someone else in the team, their, their character would be. Yeah. And so they picked for me, um, what's his name? Seth Rogen. Of course. Yeah. Seth Rogen, of course. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's just cause you know, I'm a bit of a teddy bear and it's the beard and it's the, yeah. it's the bit of the laugh as well. So Seth yeah. Rogen. I can yeah. see that. I can also yeah. see you as, um, I can see Bob Odenkirk playing you with it. If he grew a beard, a little bit older. I, I don't know who that is. What's the problem? Uh, he's Saul Odenkirk. from Better Call Saul. Oh yeah. Just something <laughs> on and grew a beard. I reckon that's not even that. Yeah, why not? So thanks for doing that. That's cool. I feel like I, knew, I know you a little bit better now as well. Yeah. yeah. Um so 
the reason that we're here is to talk about, I guess, your experience as a coach, mm. what it means to be a coach, advice for aspiring coaches, and conversation really from this point on will kind of just meander through some yeah, of sure. your experiences, some examples. We'll just see where yeah, we sure. go. But um, typically, people who listen to the podcast tend to be those people who are not just up and coming as coaches, but certainly have got an interest in the space and might not necessarily mm. be in the role yet. Um, people who are kind of thinking about maybe moving out of those traditional project services roles and, and into coaching. Um, but I guess a good starting point is to ask how you actually got into coaching and what that yeah. was like for you. Yeah, so it's an interesting one. Um, I... I started my career in obviously, oh, obviously IT. Um, so I worked in a IT security place uh, for a year and a half straight out of uni, mm. and then went to actually work as what we were talking about before, Coca Cola Amatil. So I went there as a, a PMO analyst, and this is back in uh, two thousand four, right? So quite in the early days, um, mm. you know, agile. Agile was only really formed in 2001. So I joined Coca-Cola until 2004. And they were actually experimenting with Agile back then. So that was my first exposure to it. Um, and they had a, a big program that was running Agile. And it's like, it's like the same, um, the same dysfunctions that you have today, you know, 20, 20 or 18 years later, um, were the same as as back then right so that was my first exposure to agile they brought in thoughtworks and um to basically train everyone on agile what is agile all that and then i left i left um i left sydney um to go traveling and see the world and ended up in london for a few years so nice. I, I i left i left agile <laughs> i went into more infrastructure type things um i came back and joined CBA as a project manager, you know, infrastructure, very traditional project management, project delivery. And um, I don't know what happened. I basically decided oh, I want to move back to my passion, which is digital, you know, not infrastructure, but digital. And so with that came, well, everything's moving to agile. So mm -hmm. let me actually get certified, become a certified scrum master in agile, uh, in scrum. And yeah, just, it just kind of happened from there. So, you know, obviously, you know, like he has a certified scrum master, probably the only one in an infrastructure project delivery team yeah, that is certified a, scrum master. And, yeah. And I was like, well, I became like Brad's the agile guy. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm the only one talking about it. And mm -hmm. I guess it just kind of went from there. And, you know, I, I delivered some projects. I was looking after some teams um, and just got more and more experience, more as an agile project manager. I was talking about myself, which is a very interesting role in itself because you kind of have these multiple personalities, right? Like you're a bit of a PO, a bit of a scrum master, a bit of a project manager, and you've got to flip between them constantly, right? Mm. Because you can't, you can't do all of them at the same time. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I ended up as an agile project manager and then I had an opportunity to, to become an agile coach and, and I just took it and it was, how, like, it was how, like a turning how, point. How did you know you were going to be good at that? 
Well, because you kind of you kind of do it when you're when you're actually an agile project manager or when you're a scrum master or when you're a product owner. Part of that role is actually being a coach, sure. right? Because it's a bit of an interesting word, agile coach, because the coach part is actually a very small component of the role. You know, if you look at what it means to be an agile coach, it's actually there's professional coaching. Right, that's where the coach comes from. But there's also facilitation, mentoring, teaching, and then there's some specialties around mastery, right? Like you're either technical mastery, business mastery, or transformation. Um, so a lot of those things, besides the the coach, the actual being an agile coach, you're doing in those roles anyway, right? So, so it's not like a it's, it's a not, different title with a different flavor, but it's not an entirely new role or skill set that all of a sudden you've got to demonstrate. No, it's it's more it's more about you know the your your it's more about your presence and and about you know not necessarily the title, but the way you show up is different, mm. right? So um, you know a lot of scrum masters they're they're playing coaching roles. They're, they're being an agile coach, you know, because they're not just talking about scrum. They're talking about everything else yeah. as well. So this, this is an interesting point, actually. And I work with a lot of scrum masters who apply for agile coach roles. And I understand what you've just described there in that they're probably doing a lot of that anyway. But mm. it's very difficult to tell that story to a hiring manager, you know, who wants a coach. How can those people work on drawing out their skill sets and their experience to prove that they've got the capacity to be a coach? Yeah, so it's 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 pretty much touching on what I what I just spoke about, right? So if you look at the role, roles are roles are just words. Yeah, right? that's all they are at the yeah. end of the day. Um, and so if you looked at what a project, what is a project manager at the end of the day, right? Like they've got a set of capabilities that enable them to manage projects. Mm. That's all it is. Mm. Same thing with a scrum master, same thing with an agile coach. So I would be looking at what are the capabilities that an agile coach needs and, and, and showing that you can actually do those things, right? And not all coaches are created equal, as in where you play as a coach also matters, right? Right. So, so you could be a team coach or you could be a program or portfolio coach, or you could be an enterprise coach, right? So where you play in the organization in terms of the levels or mm -hmm. the, the you know, we call them flight levels, like where you play on those levels of business will depend on whether you can actually go into that role. So a lot of scrum masters, their first stepping stone into being an agile coach is actually a team coach role. Which is kind right? of, it's very Which similar to a scrum master role anyway, right? It is. It is. So, but what I would what I would expect to see from a scrum master is that not that you've just worked with say one squad or one team, that you're able to work with many teams, mm. right? And that only comes about through experience and actually doing the role. So if you don't have experience and you haven't been playing the role, then no, you're not going to be able to be a coach. Yes. You're not going to be able to look after multiple squads. You're not going to be able to coach and mentor other scrum masters because you actually haven't done it. They need to be able, you need to be able to talk to them and, and identify the areas that they need to 
uplift their capabilities. Right? Yeah, that makes sense. So really, it's easier then for somebody who's progressing and wants to move into that kind of coaching world. If you're a scrum master, you're better off almost staying where you are and getting the opportunity to work with multiple squads or teams before you make you try and make that transition because the narrative makes more sense then. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. And and I would also be asking the questions like why why do you want to become an agile coach? What is what is the thing that's driving you to do that? You know, I mean, like is it is it the money? Like is that why? Is it the status? Is it is it because you want to be called an agile coach? Yeah. Or is it the actual role that you want to do? In which well, case you could yeah, do yeah. that role. You could do that role still as a scrum master, right, with the title. Um yeah. it just depends on what you want. What was it for you that made you get into coaching? It's a it's an interesting one because a lot of project managers, so when, when teams go, this is a bit of a roundabout way of saying, when there's project managers and the everyone's moving to agile, a lot of the time they'll say, well, you need to make a choice. You, you as a project manager, you either become a product owner or you become a scrum master. And, you know, depending on... Um, you as a person, it, it's quite it's quite obvious where most project managers um, would want to end up, right? Depending on their personality and, and mm. how they are, they're either going to go, well, I care about people, I care about, you know, the team. And so I'm going to become a scrum master because that's what the scrum masters, you know, sort of the way they start themselves is looking at the team and how they can improve. Yes. Versus, well, no, I actually just care about delivering value and I care about talking to all the senior stakeholders. And it's like, well, they move to product owners. Yeah. Right. And so for me, I'm I'm driven more by status. And so for me, it's also like the, the agile coaching thing just appeals to me more so than anything else. Um, and I, I guess I'm also in my in terms of my career, I'm I'm moving away from team level coaching and you know i'm an enterprise coach so i prefer yeah. operating at the portfolio and strategy levels working with senior leaders than i do down at the team level which is still something i do but it's not my preferred place to be that if makes that makes sense. sense and is that in your eyes and in your experience is kind of team level to program level to enterprise level is that a hierarchy in terms of seniority or style or both? It's both. It's both. I think it's both. Um, and, you know, there's some people who they don't want to be playing at that level that, mm. you know, like there's, you, you need to be a certain type of person to be playing at the enterprise level. Yeah. Right. Like You're there's a different kind of stakeholder. Yeah. You, you're engaging with senior people who've been doing this for decades, right? Like, they kind of, a lot of them are stuck in their ways and you need to be able to show up in a certain way, which isn't necessarily like, um, you know, there's politics at play. When you get to those sorts of levels, there's politics. So you need to be able to play that game at, at that level. Um, and not everyone wants to do that. And that's that's just how it is. Yeah. Uh, okay, um, so you need a little bit more kind of experience about you, a few more battle scars perhaps to be able to manage those stakeholders and those scenarios. Yeah, so it, you'd sort of be thinking about it's the same sort of structure as a project manager or project management, right? Mm. You you sort of start off as a junior project manager or an associate project manager and you're playing with small projects, right? You're playing with, say, a team, a, a, like a scrum master. And mm. then eventually you grow into 
a project manager, a senior project manager, you get more complex projects, more things that touch multiple areas of the business. Then you get into program management and then portfolio management. And some people don't want to become portfolio managers and that's okay. Yeah. Right? yeah. So sense. it's, it's very similar. That makes sense. Um, something that we're coming up against a lot again, and this, this is something that in many ways has been absolutely done to death in terms of discussion and ideas, but it's something that's swinging sort of back around now. In a, in a, and what I'm getting at is kind of hybrid working models, remote working, that sort of thing. And for yeah. some reason, over the last sort of few weeks, month, couple of months, it just seems to be a conversation that's bubbling to the surface again. And I think it's because there's that, I don't know, we're kind of through COVID now. And so people should be coming back, but do they want to? And people have moved and they've moved away from the train stations and they're in the regional areas. And all of a sudden there's pressure on organizations. Yeah, All of this stuff's kind of happening. There's a, a yeah. new narrative that seems to be forming around that. But I feel like one of the roles that has had to change the most and that is maybe the most affected by this is the role of a coach. Because what you're doing is very much people-centric and you're all of a sudden in situations where you aren't, in the same room as the people that you're coaching anymore. So how have you had to adapt style and tactics to still be effective, but to be able to be, do that, you know, remotely over a VC or phone call or whatever it may be? I think it, it's, it's an interesting one because I think some people have struggled with it and mm -hmm. some people have thrived with it. Right. Yeah. So, you know, for, for example, um, a lot of introverts, have actually thrived in this way of working. And so for myself, um, I'm an introvert and, you You're know, an be, yeah, I'm an introvert, which is really bizarre. Right. And, um, you know, like I, <laughs> I, um, I, I guess I, I, I find it so much the first, <laughs> the first training session I did, um, when we first went into lockdown, there was about 30, there was about 30 people on a call hmm. and I was, I was, um, so nervous, so nervous. I was like sweating really? and all that sort of stuff. And I was just like, Oh my God, there's like 30 people <laughs> on this call. And you know, like I was just, I, I could feel it. Like my heart was pounding and, um, and it was just so bizarre, but now it's like, 30s nothing yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? yeah like like i've gone through this and for an introvert it's like oh there's 150 people on the call no worries i like you don't even you don't even see the 150 people That's on the call right, yeah yeah right like you've done this again and it's like you you're basically in like your own little room and who cares who's there um and so i think people some people have thrived in that situation right yeah, so i think yeah. i think when it comes to you know, I'm going to train 300 people. I need to run a workshop or do a big room planning or a, a, a PI planning or anything like that. It's, it's a lot easier because there's just, it's just a smaller, it's just a smaller world. Yeah. And, and home, is, um, right? I, I take that. That's a, that's a really good point. Do you think then that the audience, those people in attendance are getting the same value from that session that you're holding online as they would if you're in a room together? It's, it's, I think, I think so. Yes. Um, what you, what you don't get and even becomes even more important. And it's interesting as an introvert talking about this is that you need to inject so much energy into those calls. 
Yeah. Right. Like you need to find a way to to make it as engaging as possible for the people on those calls. You need to work a lot harder because in when you're in person, like that, you can feel the energy in the room. Exactly. Right? Yeah, like it's just you know the conversation. Talking. Yeah, exactly. It's the conversations, you know, like are just so much more energetic, and so you have to work a lot harder. The facilitators have to work harder to keep the energy up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you need a lot of tools in your toolkit to, you know, like, oh, the energy's waning. What are we going to do? Okay, well, I need to bring out this energizer. I need to, you know, like basically, you know, do mindfulness or, or whatever it is to try and bring the energy up again. Yeah. Um, I actually, which is I very different. About that. I, I um, saw one of your posts a couple of weeks ago, mm. maybe last week, I can't remember now, about you having run a sort of five-minute mindfulness session at the start yeah. of one of your sessions. Yeah. So what, what was the thing behind that? And and how did it go? But we were, we're creating these advocate groups, mm. right? And so we got about a ten about ten people, and you know I've got an hour with them a week, and you know I'm very mindful that a lot of people they they either run late, right? Like I'm so sorry, I'm five minutes late. The last one ran over. You know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of um, anxiety and stress and, you know, like going from meeting to meeting. And so, you know, how do we create a bit of space for people to, you know, have an opportunity to just kind of just sit down and have a break or have a comfort break or go for a walk or go make, get a cup of coffee or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I, I thought to myself, well, okay, you know, some people are into mindfulness, some people aren't, and that's okay. So let me give you five minutes. We, we're not going to start on the hour. We're going to start at five minutes past. I will play uh, five minutes of yoga or five minutes of mindfulness or something just to kind of reset and recenter. And so we can show up to this, this session in the right mind mind space, right? That's the right idea. frame of mind. Um, and it's something, you know, I'm, I'm in a new role, but like it's something that I, I feel like I'm going to implement just because there's so many back-to-backs, you know, like I'm basically sitting there waiting five, six, seven minutes and it's like, well, we're just wasting five, six, seven minutes. So I might as well create this space and go, yeah. hey, like we're just going to start at five past. Don't worry about it. Don't stress, right? Um, really good and, idea. We, yeah. um, we talk a lot about that sort of stuff at Precision and we talked about it a lot more during the lockdowns because I, I feel like generally speaking, well-being was kind of at the front of everybody's minds. We were all in this weird thing together and <laughs> it's not something we've dropped the ball on, but it's definitely something that doesn't seem as important as it used to, wrongly, because mm. it is, of course. Mm. Um, and so we're trying to figure out ways you know, to, to kind of build in this kind of just like wellness mentality, I think within the business. And I think you probably know we, we work a four day a week. We always, I always talk about this cause it's like, it, it's, and this is becoming part of a, a kind of bigger conversation. It seems as well, or I'm certainly mm-hmm. seeing a lot more of it on LinkedIn, but we pivoted to a four day a week during um, the very first lockdown. Um, mm. And it was like a, it was a defensive move. It was a move mm. to kind of cut costs and try and save everybody's jobs. And we just didn't mm. know what was going to happen in the recruitment industry. Um, mm. And what, what the business observed was that everyone's well-being increased, productivity increased, um, like application, the, the quality of the placements that we were making, the value, everything just seemed to get better. And so yeah. when um, 
when the time came to kind of come out of lockdown, we, we increased salaries back up to a five-day, so full salary, but maintained the four-day working week with Friday being like, we describe it as a flexible Friday or like a buffer day, whereby, mm. you know, you've got urgent requirements, you've got clients banging on the door, which at the moment we, we have always got that. Um, yeah. You know, you work it and you do what you need to do to, to deliver to your candidates and your clients. But in theory, if you need yeah. that time for your family and whatever it might be, like it's yours to take. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, cool. No. That's um I think I think I think more and more organizations are gonna start moving to that. I mean, you know, a lot of the people that I work with, they work part time. You know? Really right. Some some of them work three days, some week work, you know, three and a half. My boss works four. Yeah. And... I'll never go back to five. <laughs> and I, I, I just can't. Yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah. My, my wife yeah. works four as well and that's yeah. perfect because we the little that's ones awesome. did daycare three days. She looked after them one day. I, I looked yeah. after them on Friday and do a bit of work. And I was reading an article um, recently, actually, and and they were talking about that, right? Going like, well, you know, is everyone going to be moving to four days? And their suggestion was, well, more than likely, we'll move to a four plus one, as in you work four days, and then the one day is actually for learning. Oh yeah, would, that's a great idea. Would, which would be pretty cool, actually, because yeah. I, I I find that I'm having to carve out time in my day to actually watch some videos, read some books, those sorts of things, um, just because with a family, right, like you don't really have an opportunity at the end of the day when you're looking after you're kids done. and um, not when you're just like always on energy as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny. I'm, there's a lot of. Um, kind of creative things happen in the world of work and perhaps we're slightly off topic here, but I did say something yesterday that I thought was awesome, um, mm. which was a, I think they were a recruitment firm or a consultancy or something. And they, last year they implemented unlimited annual leave mm. um, and trialed that for a year. And they had basically said that it didn't work and it didn't work mm. because people felt weird about asking for too much annual leave and, and the top performers in the business they, they only took 21 days. And so everybody else at a, at a less senior level didn't feel as though they were able to take more than what the top of performers were taking. And there was this like weird energy about the whole thing. And it was meant to yeah. have a really positive impact and it, it didn't. It caused stress and anxiety around mm. the, the use of annual leave. And so they decided to say, instead of unlimited annual leave, and they went pretty big, I think they went to 32 days of annual leave for everybody. And that was, mm. you know, yours to use and, you're encouraged mm. to use it. And that evidently seemed to solve that problem where people, they didn't mm. know what they could and couldn't do. And I thought yeah. that was pretty cool. Yeah. Like I, I think, I think the more annual leave, I, I know in, in the UK, they, you know, like a lot of places, like they default to 25 days of leave. Really? Yeah. 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 In the UK. Um, and then usually with each year of service, they increase by another day. So you could end up getting like 35 days of annual leave a year, depending a on game the, changer. Yeah, that's and that's amazing. Yeah. Right? Like you don't even have to buy that leave. Like that's just given to you. That's yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, it's so good. Um I was I was actually interviewing with one uh, one SAS um organization and yeah. they they basically had a nine day fortnight, which is also pretty cool. Yeah. Like that's um because at least that's not, you know, it's not four days a week, but like, it's, it's still pretty good. Like every second yeah. Friday you get to do awesome. Yeah. Just take off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the, the whole world is like of work is yeah. changing. We're, yeah. we're, we're living in a, 
an exciting time, I think, and God knows where we'll be in five, ten years. But yeah. there's definitely progress being made on all fronts. Yeah. I guess that all yeah. comes back to me to that well-being piece, and it's cool that you were sort of thinking about. And okay, there's these grander things that are going on outside of mm. you know looking at what the working week should be, but mm. the things that you can build into your day as well, isn't it? Around mm. well-being that ultimately mm. affects productivity as well. Mm. That's cool. Have you have you uh, have you um, experienced anything in in Australia around like the Great Resignation? Has that been a thing here? Like yes and no. So we've seen a lot of fluidity in the market. Lots of people moved roles sort of after COVID, but. Mm. It was a combination of a number of things. I think like lots of people were being tempted by more cash and there was a lot of cash flying around mm. and there still is. So yeah, mm. it was that coupled with the fact that a lot of people who would have resigned during COVID didn't because mm. security was quite important and you nece- didn't necessarily want to be the last one into a new organization because you mm. be the, the first one out if there was trouble. Um, so a lot of people had like, pent up resignations that should have happened and didn't and then as soon as COVID sort of quietened down everyone just went like like now's the time so mm. we did see a lot of that sort of thing um mm. the other factor I think was lots of people having so much time to reflect during COVID that they reflect on you know is the job that I'm doing now really the fulfilling thing that I thought it was going to be and should I be doing something else and so yeah you then saw lots of like people leaving the industry as well mm within IT, broadly speaking. So there was a lot of things going on. Whether or not that that was what they were classifying as the great resignation, I don't know. But like, mm. th- there was definitely something going on there. Um, and really tricky to navigate for, for hiring organizations and, and job seekers as well, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was listening to a podcast this morning. It was uh, Business Ted and with um, Adam Grant. And um, who's Adam Grant? He's like a... He's an organizational psychologist, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he's like a Simon Sinek sort oh, yeah, of person. Yeah. But he was, talking, he was talking about the great resignation and he was talking to someone from KPMG, actually in Australia, mm. who had a, a, like a, it was like a, it was kind of like a resignation, um, a perpetual resignation, like one person resigned and another person resigned and another person resigned. And it was just like the circle of resignations that were happening. And, you know, it's like kind of like, why, why is, why is this happening? And, um, you know, she, she decided to have, um, instead of like an exit interview, actually have stay interviews. Oh yeah, um, and so and so they were. She was having some stay interviews with people, which it sounds pretty awesome. Like you know, um, just to get some insights around yeah. what's going on in people's heads. But the one thing which sounded really interesting was that some organisations would actually offer um, like a year's, like they'd ho- if someone resigned, they'd hold their position for like a year, just so if the, if things didn't work out, they could actually come back. No with, way. Uh, with no issues. And yeah, there was one example of someone who basically left and then a week later they decided, no, I'd like to come back and they were open, open arms and welcomed them back. That's really cool. Uh, which is pretty cool because, you know, cool, like yeah. a lot of the times, like you, you think, oh, the grass is greener or I'd like to do something or I'd like to try a side hustle mm-hmm. or this, you know, do a startup or something. And it's like, oh, that doesn't actually work That's out. Cool, so, yeah. and, and like, times like these as well, where there is a load of money floating around in the market and like mm. candidates' expectations are so high and they can go out and get, you know, extortionate money, mm. rightly or wrongly. Mm. But like, 
it's of course it's tempting you could be sat in a role for two three years and someone's offering mm. you 50 60 grand more like yeah yeah you you know that's going to turn most people's heads and yeah. and it doesn't always necessarily mean it's the right decision either right just because it's more money so the thought of being able to go back to your old employer i think is pretty awesome yeah you've got some wins from that right because those people are going to leave either way but to know that they can yeah. come back that's cool no and that's that's um it's interesting when i was working for um us too um a digital agency global yeah. digital agency they um they invited one of their um i don't know ex-employees he wrote a book called um endings mm. and it was all about the fact that you know we do this we do this great work about actually attracting customers and attracting employees but we do a really rubbish job of ending you know like if you've subscribed to say i don't know telstra and you decide oh, i'm going to try out optus like you know you want that experience of ending your relationship with an organization to be the best possible like you, yeah you know and often it's not often it's like oh i can't even cancel my membership my gym membership they make it so difficult so you got to come in you got to have a conversation with someone and it's like there's no focus on actually ending the relationship That's right true. and so it's the same with organizations it's like you should as much as you want to attract talent you got to make sure that the people leaving you 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 make that as good an ending as possible right and because you want people to speak well of you well well of you but also you know if they want to come back if you basically had a bad ending they're unlikely to come back 100 right? so our, our industry the recruitment industry has got just the worst like reputation and name for people leaving and having a bad mm. experience it's just terrible i've seen so many bad endings mm. uh, and that didn't have to be and you know these are people who have done fantastic things for an organization who may have worked there for five or 10 years and have contributed yeah. to growth and all these wonderful things. And then because they're leaving and they're going to a competitor, they're villainized and they're marched out of offices. And it's, it's just, it's just crazy. And it is starting to change. And I think, you know, we, we are starting to build organizations in the recruitment sector that are more open. Mm. And, you know, you can have conversations with your manager about your life plans and it's understood that you might not necessarily want to be here for the rest of your life. And so, you know, for the mm. time that you are, how can it be mutual, beneficial, and all these things? But it's so strange, man. And the other part of this is, is that so there's the employee experience and and the ending of that time. In the recruitment world, there's also the candidate experience. And this is something I always bang on about, and I've probably banged on about it in previous episodes of this podcast as well. But the experience that a candidate goes through interviewing for a company. Mm. Let's say there's three in a normal world, three people interviewing. One person gets the job. There's still two other people who have formed an opinion, right? Mm. And their opinion is valid, and they will give their colleagues and their peers that opinion of that organisation based purely yeah. on the interview. Yeah. yeah. So it's so important to get right because your reputations can spread. And yeah. I've, in the past, represented organisations where I've told a candidate who it is, and they're like, "No, nah, I won't work there." And I ask them why, and they say, "Oh, Johnny had a such and such experience, and it's just an interview." Mm. Mm. You know. Um, mm. I've, um, I've, I've had that experience myself quite a few times. I interviewed for a, a large airline and recently I interviewed with a large insurer mm. and, you know, I took the time to apply for these jobs. I spoke to the yes. internal recruiters. I had an actual interview Laborious. and, and never heard back from them. It's terrible. Like, it's what? The worst. That's ridiculous. Like, 
not even not even a peep not even a thank you for your time sorry or like anything like just so ghost just ghosted yeah and i wonder where <laughs> that breaks down i wonder if that's the hiring manager not getting back to their internal talent yeah yeah and i mean talent acquisition consultants like god their job is hard man like mm. they, they'll be working 30 or in these big organizations right they'll be working mm. 30 and 40 roles at a time and mm-hmm. you know they, they do it but they're so stretched and that's yeah. sometimes where this kind of breakdown in communication happens yeah um but yeah, yeah that's like, hard it is important man oh 100 um, kind of got we got way out of the agile thing there and just got <laughs> <talking about the marketing. laughs> that's good yes yes we did yeah, i didn't say it was going to be a meandering conversation um but it's good because again right i mean my, my world is helping people to find jobs um and yeah. I, I see and hear a lot of things but good to hear you know experiences from someone who's recently just secured a new role and mm. yeah it's it's mad that reputable organizations you know we're sitting here seeing big insurer big airline you know there's only four or five companies that they can really be and you wouldn't expect it from them right you'd no. expect that experience to be slick and it should be it's is, some um, of some of the worst and you know i've interviewed in lots of places um and some of the worst are the big ones um, yeah. for some reason um, this, you, this you think they'd have it down, right? <laughs> yeah. This just isn't the market where you want to um, alienate a, an already very limited talent pool. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, so I'm conscious of time a little bit. Final question, and this is mm. just taking you back to your, to your coaching experience. What advice would you give to somebody who is an aspiring agile coach? The only advice... Um, I'd give and um, it's kind of how I how I am myself is just get involved and just try and absorb as much as possible because there is so much out there that you just won't be able to consume it all right and it's not just about agile it's about everything else because agile at the end of the day is is not about scrum right like everyone kind of thinks oh agile is about okay i've got to learn how to do stand-ups and visual management boards and retros and all that and it's like no because agile is pretty much everything right like it touches everything Mm. if you think about you know like in in summary agile is about people over process and so if you put people it's all about people right and there's just so much to know about people you know like how do i how do I influence? How do I negotiate? How do I ensure that people are motivated and have a good well-being? And it's just, it touches everything in an organization. Um, and then, you know, like how does work flow? Like the whole systems thinking sort of point of view, it's, it touches everything. So my, my recommendation is read as much as possible, get involved in community, agile communities as much as possible, um, talk to agile coaches and scrum masters and others in the industry as much as possible and just get involved by getting involved um you know like you actually get you get you get offered opportunities right it's like hey i've been talking to bob um and he's really keen he's a scrum master and he's he knows so much about this hey when i've got an agile coaching gig and i'm looking for someone who's up and coming and i know them well, guess what? I'm going to be calling Bob yeah, to yeah. come and actually work with me, right? Because, you know, I, 
I know. I, I'd rather employ someone I know. Me, right? you'd, you'd call me to get Bob, and then I'd get Bob for you, and we'd do it that way, right? Surely. Yeah, of course, of course, <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> but it's all about it's all about those networks, right? That's how that's how it works. I, I think that's great advice, and in fact, that mirrors the advice of a number of coaches who we've had on who have said exactly the same thing. Just like immerse mm. yourself in the space, learn, absorb. Um, that makes perfect sense. Mate, yeah. it has been wonderful chatting to you. Thank you so much for jumping on. I, I, I know it's kind of a weird thing to do, um, but I really appreciate it, and I promise you people will get a lot out of it. So thank you so much for your no, time. It's a, it's a pleasure. Yeah, thanks thanks for having me. And um, if anyone wants to talk about Agile, I'm always open to talking about Agile. So, That's good. We'll get you on yeah. again then. <laughs>